0: When, um, when Margo and I were dating, we got to the place where it was time for me to meet her parents. And so I flew out to Southern California at Christmas time and Margo came and picked me up and she took me to her parents' house and we arrived shortly before dinner. And, uh, when, when dinner came, um, I, I saw something I had never seen before. I saw an artichoke. <laughs> I had never, ever seen an artichoke before. I don't think I'd ever seen an artichoke heart. Um, but there was this thing sitting on the plate, and I had no idea what to do with it. Um, I, I wasn't even sure, honestly, if it was food. So, <laughs> you scrub yourself with this or something. I, I literally had no idea. And uh, so I was uh, very much feeling out of my element. You know, you're already visiting the the, the parents of your girlfriend, um, and then on top of that, they've sprung the artichoke on you. So, <laughs> so, so, um, but I got through the meal, um, and, uh, when Margot and I were engaged, her parents, uh, uh, welcomed me into the family, and so everything worked out well, but, but it, um, it, it probably serves a useful purpose, because I don't remember all the other faux pas that I, that I had that day, I just remember the artichoke. Um, but, um, but they did welcome me, and um, I still remember that because because we often have those opportunities where we feel like I don't know um, what I'm supposed to do here. We, you know, I don't I don't know what the rules are. I don't know even really am I am I supposed to be here? Am I like not in the right place? I think uh, for me, one of the places whenever I'm invited to a fancy meal, and it's like, well, wait a minute, which one? Is is my glass, you know? Especially their cur- they they put too many people around a, a table that's too small, and so the the glasses are and it's like, wait a minute, that's the white wine glass, but but this is the red wine, you know. So um, so all those sorts of things, you know. Where is the where is the butter knife? Um, so uh, sometimes I feel out of place in a meal setting, and maybe I, I heard some some chuckles. Maybe some of you have been there, where you've been in a place where where I I don't know really what the rules are. Maybe you've been there before, but you don't remember them, or maybe it's just completely unfamiliar, like the artichoke was for me. And, um, as, as, um, as I read the Gospels, I always wonder if Jesus felt that way, because he never seems to. Jesus always seems to be completely at ease in, in his location. Um, uh, even as we'll see today, giving, giving advice to his host about how the dinner could have been carried out a little bit better. Um, and and you know I, I just wonder did he ever feel like you know which one is the butter knife so um, I don't know um, we are we are just going to begin now today we're starting today a new conversation which is drawn from the gospel uh, account that Luke writes in in his biography of Jesus and I've called it a, a teachings for the journey and the reason for that is. Uh, this the way that Luke structures his biography. There's a long middle section. It's almost ten chapters long, which uh, represents the the journey that Jesus made from Galilee, where he began his ministry, to Jerusalem, where he concluded it, where where he was crucified and then rose um, at Easter. So, so there was this um, this ten uh, chapter journey. And along the way, because, because it concluded with um, a celebration of the Passover, uh, other pilgrims would be joining their group along the way. And so we're going to pick things up in chapter 14, kind of like pilgrims who, who started following that, that group as, as it got closer to Jerusalem. So we're gonna, we're gonna read about it in, um, chapter 14, and it begins with a, with a meal, um, probably not quite as many, um, uh, dishes on the table, but it begins with a meal. And it says, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to share a meal in the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees, they were watching him closely. So the Sabbath is the, the day of rest, and so this is uh, probably the Sabbath meal on, Fr- uh, we would say, Friday night. Um, uh, but um, uh, in any event, Jesus has been has been invited to this meal, and it is in the home of a Pharisee. The Pharisees are a um, religious reform movement. They believe that the problems that Israel has been dealing with for hundreds of years is because they haven't taken uh, God's word seriously enough. And they, they say, well, we're going to fix that. We're going to take it very seriously. And so they become, they become very uh, uh, zealous in terms of the way that they, they try to apply the law in their lives. And uh, the person that Jesus is dining with is a leader. Now, the Pharisees was just kind of a grassroots movement. There weren't uh, leadership positions, but this person seems to have been highly regarded. So, in any event, um, he is a leader of the Pharisees, and they were watching him closely. So they were watching Jesus. We don't know who they is, but we know it includes probably these Pharisees and also um, some some lawyers that we'll hear about in a moment. Pardon me. And um, so there he is at his at this meal, and he encounters a man who is suffering from an abnormal swelling of the body. Was there? So, um, so uh, this this man is there. We don't know. We don't know why he's there. Um, it could be that he has crashed the party. Um, if you If you read back through the the story of of uh, the, as Luke presents it in his in his biography, we know that party crashing sometimes happens back in chapter five. The Pharisees crashed a party that that um, Matthew held with all the tax collectors and sinners and uh, in chapter seven, uh, a woman of of ill repute showed up and and uh, crashed that party too so Perhaps this fellow is a party crasher here. Jesus was going to be there, and he said, I want him to to help me with my my condition. So maybe that's what happened. But it says they were watching him closely, so maybe this was a setup. Maybe the only reason he had been brought here was so that Jesus would encounter him, and then he would heal him on the Sabbath, and then they would have a basis to accuse him. We don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. But um, But he was there. And Jesus does not heal him immediately. Instead, he looks at the... Pharisees the lawyers and the Pharisees and he says does the law allow healing on the Sabbath or not so the lawyers the lawyers are the people if the Pharisees are are amateurs they they are a grassroots movement that is attempting to carry out all the the rules in the law um, out of love for it out of out of a devotion to God and and love for the law the, the scribes the lawyers are the people who do it for a living they' they're people whose job is to interpret the law and so Jesus turns to them and says okay you're all watching me answer this question: Does the law allow healing on the Sabbath or not? Now, they don't answer, so um, so we don't know what their thinking is. We do know from from writings that have survived, there was there was an argument about this. Uh, generally, um, th- there were people who said, you know, no under no circumstances. There are people who said, under certain circumstances, and and usually the circumstance was if there was some kind of emergency. If somebody had a chronic condition or something like that, then they had to wait. But if somebody had you know an emergency situation, then they could be healed. So um so they don't answer maybe because they're afraid of starting an argument among themselves, or maybe because, because uh they don't they don't like the answer that they have to give. But for whatever reason they don't answer. But by phrasing the question this way, Jesus doesn't say, Am I permitted, you know, am I forbidden from from healing? Instead, he asks a different question. He says, he says, does the law allow me to heal? He essentially flips the question around. I think oftentimes when we think about uh, 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 rules, particularly religious rules, uh, the, the question is, well, how far can I go before it's a sin? You know, can, I, can, I, you know, can I skate this far up before the ice is too thin for me? You know, how, where are the boundaries? Because I want to go right up to the boundary. And Jesus asks a different question. He says, he says, instead of saying, where are the boundaries? You, you can heal here but not there. In, instead, he says, can I heal? He just asks the basic question. Can I heal? And I think behind that is, is a question, okay, well, well, who's... Is healing work? And if it is work, who's doing the work? Because, because healing is ultimately in God's hands. And Jesus is saying, so... Who's doing the healing? You know, who's, who's in a position to tell God that he needs to stop working because it's the Sabbath? So Jesus, Jesus flips the question around, and instead of saying, how far can I go? He, he invites a different question, which is, um, will it honor your Heavenly Father? Will, will the thing that's being done honor your Heavenly Father? And that's a great question to ask because then you don't ever have the question of how far can I go? You don't have to say, well, you know, if I go across this line, then I'm in real trouble. Instead, you simply say, well, I know the place right next to it is also not honoring God. So you can you can um, ask a different question. But they haven't answered. They haven't answered. So Jesus continues. He says, they, they, they said nothing. So Jesus goes ahead and heals him. Uh, Jesus took hold of the sick man, cured him, and then let him go. And because he says they let him go, I'm assuming he was not invited to the meal. And uh, he, Jesus, said to them, suppose your child or ox fell into a ditch on the Sabbath day, wouldn't you immediately pull it out? So he brings up that emergency situation that they would have been aware of from, from their, uh, their different uh, legal opinions. And he says, well, wouldn't you pull them out? And their answer is probably, and the reason they're not saying anything, is their answer is, yes, but this guy can wait. You know you know it's essentially no skin off my nose how how miserable he is for the next twenty four hours because it's you know not my problem, and so they 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 must have some sense that that doesn't sound very well, that doesn't play well, so I will just not say anything. so they had no response they're still silent now, if we've been following along in in, in the the gospel as Luke writes it out. This is not the first time this has happened. This is actually the fifth time Jesus has healed somebody on the Sabbath. And every time people, the responses have either been, can he do that? Or by no means may he do that. So, so there's been a lot of uh, criticism of Jesus every time he heals somebody on the Sabbath. And so I think Jesus, um, is, is, you know, pounding his head going, how can I get this concept through to people? He's told them, the Sabbath is a blessing from God. It's not, it's not a hoop for you to jump through um, if you want God's favor. It's something God gave you because he, he you already have his favor. So, so I picture Jesus kind of casting around saying, is there anything I can do that will help people understand what I'm getting at here? And the reason for that is that it says, when Jesus noticed how the guests were uh, sought out the best seats at the table, he told them a parable. Now, we're going to come back to the parable, but what does he say? He sees them, them jockeying for positions. And I, when I was studying this, I read that actually in, in um, that culture, it would have been very common, your, your guests were ranked, and the people closer to the head got better food. They would actually bring out inferior food for the people who were further, further down the list. And, and so, you know, both for the, for the prestige of being in a better place, but also it was just not as good of an experience if you were not in a good place. So, um, so they're, they're fighting over the best seats. And Jesus tells them a parable. He says, he says, when someone invites you, uh, to a wedding celebration, um, don't take your seat in the place of honor. Someone more highly regarded than you could have been invited by your host. The host who invited both of you will come and say to you, "Give your seat to this other person." Embarrassed, you will take your seat in the least important place. Have you ever been in an airplane and you're thinking, "Okay, it looks like it's mostly empty," and so I'm gonna I'm gonna take the seat I really want, and then you know at the last minute, right before they close the door, they, they you send you back to 30E, and and, and you're thinking, okay, so. Um, so, and maybe the people in the airplane are looking at you, you know, giving you the, the stink eye because because what were you thinking to to try and claim that better seat up there? So, so um, Jesus says you will be embarrassed, you'll be humiliated, and you'll slink back to that last seat. So instead, Jesus says, when you receive an invitation, go and sit in the least important place. And this is, this is basically, uh, there, there's nothing really surprising about this. This is, this is what they would have known, especially Pharisees and, and teachers of the law. They would have known this because it's all through the scriptures that, that people who put themselves forward are routinely humbled by God. In the, um, in the book of Proverbs, it says exactly this. It says, don't exalt yourself in the presence of the king or stand in the place of important people because it is better that he say to you, come up here than to be demoted before a ruler. So Jesus is saying, save yourself the aggravation. Go sit in the last seat. So that is just practical advice. Um, And Jesus adds, uh, all who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. So... Well, if you have, if you have the program, you know, there should be a fill in the blank here. Don't invite your own humiliation before we go any further. So don't invite your own humiliation because, because, uh, that's something you have control of, right? You have control. What is the worst thing that can happen to you if you take the back seat, if you, if you take the last seat, is that you'll be moved up, right? That's the worst thing that can happen. But, but, uh, the alternative is to invite your own humiliation. So Jesus goes on and he says, to the person who had invited him, when you host a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or rich neighbors. Instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. So Jesus has has been talking about um, uh, table manners. He said, "Don't don't try to jump up to the front seats." And now he says to the host, he's giving the host advice. He says. Think think twice about your guest list in the first place, right? He's saying, don't invite the obvious people, don't invite your friends, the rich people, because they will repay you, and then you won't, you know, you'll you'll be paid off. Instead, he says, invite these other people, invite the 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 poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Now, what is the application for this? I I, I have to say, I, I don't know what it was like in the first century. One of the things I have to say is, he's not saying don't have dinner at home. Um, I think that's a problem we have in our society today, is there aren't enough people who are having dinner at home with their family and friends. Um, I saw some statistics. One half, in this country, one half of family meals are eaten together. Um, and one third of people eat together less than um, three times a week. And an eighth of people don't even eat once a week together. And this is despite the fact that a quarter of teens would like to eat more. So there's all kinds of reasons to do that. There's actually um, other reasons as well. You get better, um, you get better results. You have uh, uh, typically is associated with lower weights, with um, better academic performance, and less risky behavior. So the family that eats together. Does all those other good things together so um, so it 's a good thing to eat together, and Jesus is not down on eating with your family so so don 't take that don't don 't take that lesson from it, but Jesus is saying it is a good thing now don 't forget the other people, so yes, by all means have those have those meals, but invite some other people share that that good thing with other people so Jesus is saying. Again this is something that would have been very familiar with the uh, to, to the scribes and the Pharisees. This is all through the the scriptures in the book of Psalms it says happy is the one who's considerate of the poor the Lord will save him in a day of adversity. The Lord will keep him and preserve him he will be blessed in the land. That that Jesus says that, that when you when you do these things for the poor and the lame that God will repay you. They can't. So God will repay you. That that's that's pretty basic idea to to the the scholars of the law and, and the Pharisees, they said, yes, of course God does that. God rewards you when you do something for the poor. Jesus says, you'll be blessed because they can't re- repay you. Instead, you will be repaid when the just are resurrected. So Jesus is saying, go ahead and practice civility, but don't forget to also practice charity. That if all you do is invite your neighbors and your friends to your meals, that's being civil, but it's not being charitable. And Jesus is saying, be charitable. Extend that grace to other people as well. So practice both civility and charity. And those are all good things. You know, they're in the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, there's nothing in there that would have surprised the, the Pharisees and the, the scribes in terms of, yes, I've heard that before. Maybe they hadn't applied it to themselves, but they've heard it. There's no real surprise there. And, and I've wondered really whether I should stop there. But, but I, I can't because I'm still stuck on the fact that Luke said that Jesus told them a parable, and when I was reading this, I was going. I'm, I kept waiting for the parable, because you know how parables go, right? Jesus says there was a man who had two sons, or there was a man who was who was beaten and robbed on the on the road to Jericho. Um, parables are a story. Parables have have this this uh, framework that helps us to see. Okay, so in real life, this is what happens, but in it, there's a spiritual reality that is similar to that, and so the 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 cir- circumstances that I'm familiar with, uh, you know, a, a seed growing in the ground, I understand the idea of a parable that it illustrates something that is a that is a hidden spiritual reality, and so I'm I'm not sure really if this has been a parable yet, uh, you know, but I'm assuming Luke knew what he was saying, and I was trying to think, well, well, what is the parable? And I thought, well, maybe the whole meal is a parable. Maybe the people in the parable are that group of people sitting around the table with Jesus, that they are the man who had two sons. They are the two sons, that they are the people in the parable. And the parable is about a banquet. And when you think about a banquet, particularly when they would have thought about a banquet, they're thinking, okay, so there's a spiritual banquet I know about, and this earthly banquet teaches me something about that spiritual banquet. What, what is that spiritual banquet? Well, it's the one I mentioned to the children. Um, the heavenly banquet, the, the banquet that represents that is a picture of the kingdom of God when it comes in its fullness. Uh, in, in the prophet Isaiah, we read, On this mountain, the Lord of heavenly forces will prepare for all peoples a rich feast, a feast of choice wines, of select foods, rich in flavor, of choice wines well refined. That's That's The heavenly banquet. And Jesus has just said this back in chapter 13. It was not at this party, but it was just, if we had read chapter 13, it would still be in our minds. Jesus says people will come from east and west, north and south, and sit down to eat in God's kingdom. Look, those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. So, so there, maybe what Jesus, what, what Luke is getting at is he's saying that this event, this gathering that Jesus is a part of, is itself a parable for that future banquet the the banquet in God's kingdom so if that's the case what does that mean well look at these three things Jesus has done in this in this passage he's he said can you can you do good instead of instead of saying how much bad can i do he says ask can i do good will it honor god and you know, I think the, the first question is is when you think about that fellow with the the, the uh, swe- uh, abnormal swelling. Um, it, it's interesting. You know, Luke Luke is described in one of Paul's letters as a physician, and uh, he uses a medical term here that is the only place it occurs in the entire New Testament, and it's it's called um, uh, sometimes dropsy or edema. And um, we don't know we don't know what the cause that that's a symptom, not a cause. And so we don't know what the cause was, and so they just said, "Well, an abnormal swelling but but um but that that fellow is there, but I've wondered, was he invited? Did they do good, or did they simply say, well i'm not you know I don't care if he comes you know i, I I'm willing to let him let him crash the party because i I've got a hidden agenda. I want to see what happens when Jesus heals him or not um, did they even invite him if they did invite him? Did, did, where, where was he going to be seated? You know, I, I, don't know, I don't know how they felt about that. Um, my guess is they thought that, that he didn't need to be invited. Um, yes, he was poor, but there are limits on what happens to the poor. And I think the reasoning comes to us, um, that there are places in the, in the scriptures that are prone to misinterpretation this way. In the book of Leviticus, um, it says, no one who has an imperfection will be allowed to make an offering. This includes anyone who is blind, crippled, disfigured, or deformed. In the book of Leviticus, there's a long list of exclusions. So, first of all, you're not allowed to be a priest unless you're a Levite, unless you're part of the tribe of Levi, you're not allowed to be a priest. Unless you're a descendant of Aaron, and so forth. There's all these exclusions that that keep happening, and one of them is you have to be um, uh, uh, able to see, um, able to walk, and so forth. That there is this list of exclusions, and I think that the the Pharisees and the scribes would have been familiar with those, and they would have said, and that probably extends to the heavenly banquet. The heavenly banquet. If God is excluding them from temple worship, then my guess is he's certainly going to exclude them from, from the, the heavenly banquet. And Jesus is saying, well maybe think that over again And not only that, consider to yourself how can, how can you decide who's on the list? you don't know who's been invited and that should invite us, that should make you ask a second question which is well where should I sit? If I don't know who's been invited, how could I possibly know where to sit? And the Pharisees, they're pretty sure they know where to sit. They, you know, they're pretty sure that they're at table one, not table 19. And so, so they're thinking, well, I know. And Jesus is inviting them to rethink that too. He's saying, don't invite your own humiliation. Say, you know what, I'll be happy if I get an invitation. And Jesus is saying, they, they, they are invited, but... Don't assume you know what table you're going to be at. And then he says to practice both charity and civility. He's saying, he's saying, assume that other people will be invited. That when Isaiah says people will come from east and west, north and south, he's saying people from all over the world, people with all kinds of of uh, things that you would you might imagine would be. Uh, um, uh, exclusionary uh, criteria that for whatever reason they can't do that. And Jesus is inviting them to say, well, maybe, maybe the guest list is bigger than I thought. So, so what does that tell us? It says, God's kingdom isn't bounded by the who and the what. God's kingdom isn't bounded by uh, what, what somebody has done or not done. This, this Pharisee, um, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, the person with, with um, Edema, uh, he's, he's invited the the person who is crippled, right? What what what's happened to him? We don't know, but it doesn't matter. God's kingdom extends beyond that. Um, uh, it doesn't matter who he is. Has he spent his life studying Torah? Is he a Pharisee? Is he a teacher of the law? No. Jesus is saying everybody's invited. So if you have ever thought to yourself about about uh, the church or Christianity, you're not sure what you think about it. You're not sure if you believe it. If you feel about Christianity the way that I feel about artichokes, or or felt about artichokes, it's like I'm not sure what to think about this. I'm not sure is this even is this message even aimed at me? Is this something that I'm not sure that I qualify? I'm not sure that that I want to go because I might you know I don't, it'd be embarrassing to be there in you know table nineteen. Um, jesus is saying you don't know where you're going to rank in the kingdom of heaven and he's saying and trust me you are invited that that if you think the the that your story the the thing that happened to you or the thing the thing that you did excludes you from participation in the kingdom of god that's not true you're invited and yeah maybe maybe you feel a little bit awkward but you know maybe you'll learn how to eat an artichoke Let's pray. Gracious God, um, we we give you thanks for your kingdom and uh, the promises that Jesus teaches us about it. Um, help us to uh, see it as, as something that is offered to us, but not only to us, to people that we might think are excluded, people that We can't imagine what you see in them. Help us to remember that you love them as much as you love us. And Lord, we pray that you would hasten the day when your kingdom arrives in its fullness and we gather with those faithful for the past centuries at that heavenly banquet on your holy mountain. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.